Yes, just over six months ago, the Biden administration passed an extraordinary package of climate legislation, obscured somewhat by the name, the Inflation Reduction Act or the IRA. The package unleashed 369 billion US dollars worth of green subsidies and investments to turbocharge every sector of its economy to drive clean energy projects, innovation and jobs to strengthen supply chains for everything from critical minerals to efficient electric appliances and vehicles. That's by the way 520 billion Australian dollars. The US is now on the track and running in the clean energy race amidst mounting warnings from Australian industry leaders that we're at risk of losing capital, business talent and competitive advantage to America. Kane Thornton from the Clean Energy Council is hearing plenty of concern from his members. Hi there, Kane. Good morning, Geraldine. And Dr Alan Finkel is Australia's former chief scientist. He's just prepared detailed analysis on the implications of the IRA for the federal government. Welcome back, Alan. Good morning, Geraldine. Uh, let's first revisit the size and purpose of this Inflation Reduction Act. It's such a boring name, isn't it? And related spending. Kane, can you give us a sense of how significant this spending is and how it's being rolled out, please? Yeah, look, look this is um, the most extraordinary level of industrial policy that I think we've seen since since wartime, probably since World War II. And what it, what it represents is a collection of incentives, um, subsidies, um, capital uh, grants, tax concessions and rebates, uh, as, as you mentioned, in the order. One of the extraordinary things about what they've put in place is that it's uncapped. So it's actually very difficult to um, project exactly uh, the order of the total subsidy, uh, somewhere between $500 billion US and $1 trillion US as the the best guess at the moment as to what it will cost. But more importantly, what it will deliver is an extraordinary shot in the arm for the United States' capability in uh, clean energy, in renewable energy technology and in the production of green hydrogen. But would be fair to sort of say that the simplest takeaway is from the IRA is electrify everything, isn't it? And and that yeah. it's both at the domestic, this is what's so interesting, both at the domestic level, driving demand for the the producers. So you've, you just hit, it's very clever, isn't it? You're hitting everything. Oh. Oh, it absolutely is. And as, as you said in your introduction, um, yeah, it is titled the Inflation Reduction Act. And in part, that's because they've recognised that um, higher electricity prices have been at the core of increasing inflation in the United States. And indeed, that's the case here in Australia and elsewhere around the world. And the greatest way to address that is to accelerate into their energy system more and more renewable energy that will indeed drive down power prices. And so the way they're going to do this is to uh, electrify people's homes. There's enormous incentives for people to move to uh, um, solar hot water, to solar power, to household batteries, to electrification of as many of their appliances in their homes but also then at an industrial scale to fundamentally change their energy system off coal, off gas and onto renewables as quickly as they possibly it's can. It's a true sort of masterstroke of a blended economy, isn't it, when you think about it? Here's a news grab giving us a taste of how clean energy projects are kicking off in states like, say, West Virginia, where the Democrat Senator Joe Manchin played such a key role. 
Senator Joe Manchin was in Jackson County as a new manufacturing site broke ground. Manchin joined Representative Carol Miller, business and state leaders, to help break ground on a new $500 million BHE renewables manufacturing site, which is set to employ around 200 people. The plant will produce titanium products for the aerospace industry. Officials expect the factory to bring in $22 million in investments, as well as more jobs to the area. Now, that was Joe Manchin um, uh, visiting a BHE renewables industrial site. Kane, um, is investment boring in? Is the private sector behaving as, as desired? Oh, there's no doubt the investment is now pouring into the United States. And, uh, you know, we've, we've seen many examples already of um, big global companies. They might be companies who manufacture technology like electrolyzers that are the critical technology in the production of green hydrogen. We've already seen announcements from global companies saying we're moving out of uh, Europe or Australia or, or Asia and we're, and we're moving into the, into the United States at a great rate of knots. And yeah, I think we're still at the start of that, of that shift, but it's certainly underway already and there's, there's plenty of examples of, of that already occurring. And Alan Finkel, is this what you found in your analysis? Oh, absolutely, Geraldine. The IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, is huge. Um, Kane pointed out that it could be, because it is uncapped, it could be up to a trillion dollars US, but don't forget it's in subsidies that draw in matching private investment. So $800 billion or a trillion dollars from the United States government will draw in $1 or $2 trillion in addition from private industry from all around the world. The, the concern around the world is that the IRA is a double-edged sword. It's fantastic for the planet, Pete. It's going to drive investment into transformational clean energy uh, uptake. But it's changing the whole balance of trade around the world because of the way it's it's fundamentally a made in America program. So it's it's a climate policy which is terrific, but made in America. The other thing that's extraordinary about it is there are no there are no taxes. There's no carbon taxes or emissions trading scheme. It's all what I call carrots. It's all incentives. And by doing it through incentives, it can be very, very sharp, sharply directed to make sure that all of those dollars as, as invested in what you called electrify everything, invested in batteries and electric vehicles and um, heat pumps for homes, you name it, it will drive the transformations that will give us long-term emissions reduction. So in many respects, it's fantastic, but it's somewhat destabilising and it's causing reactions around the world. Just two days mm. ago on Thursday, uh, the Europeans announced their response. It's substantial. The Koreans in the last few weeks have announced their response. And we're talking about hundreds of billions in each case with made in Europe and made in Korea provisions. Well, what is interesting is the price of electricity, I suppose. This is where it has a broader remit. You know, far lower than Europe and Australia. Is that right, Alan? I mean, do we know yet what the price difference will be? Because that is such a vital part of people planning future uh, projects. So some of their production-linked incentives are very substantial. And so in principle, if the manufacturers get everything right, it's not automatic. You have to be used, if you're building wind turbines, they have to use a certain amount of steel and iron made in America. 
um, and they have to be uh, they have to be installed using unionized American labor, and you get bonus points for doing things in certain states that are trying to transition off fossil fuels. But if you get everything right, the price that a wind farm could sell electricity could plummet from that roughly forty dollars per megawatt hour to around about ten dollars per megawatt hour, which then enables all the mm. surrounding industries. That is truly game changing, isn't it? It is. Uh, but there are opportunities for Australia. If we have time, we can talk about that Yes, too. We, we will. I'm, I was absolutely going to come to that because, I mean, concern in Australia from what we can read seems mostly focused on the nascent green hydrogen market. Last month, I heard Guy DeBell on our breakfast program from Fortescue Future Industries, uh, from also Mike Henry from BHP and now the Business Council of Australia, all pointing to the changed competitive landscape, saying we may, might not stand a chance in vying for the export green hydrogen market. Now, Kane Thornton, can you explain this risk, please? Yeah, well, I think to start with, um, you know, Australia has been in the box seat as far as the global race for, for green hydrogen. And that's because uh, we've got the best combination of wind, of solar and of water anywhere in the world, which is obviously um, gives us uh, the electricity, the renewable electricity, that's a critical factor in producing green hydrogen. You know, we're well, uh, we're well trusted as a trading partner. We're well located in the Asian region, particularly with access into Japan and Korea and China and, and other parts of Asia, where there's big demand for green hydrogen. But the race is on, and and the the challenge that we now face is by virtue of these incentives and subsidies in the United States is that. Um, as Alan mentioned, the competitive landscape globally has changed. And if you're a global customer, let's imagine you're a large Japanese corporation wanting to buy a lot of green hydrogen, all of a sudden, uh, the competitiveness of producing green hydrogen in Australia is at a disadvantage compared to the United States. And, and you know, we're now seeing similar subsidies and approaches in Europe and the Gulf states. And so really Australia risks being left behind, risks being priced out of that market and missing what is a, an extraordinary opportunity for, for Australia in our but, future. But is this an implicit call for something similar in Australia in terms of subsidies, you know? Is that what really the industrialists well, are calling for? We better see it for what well, it is. Well, look, look, the world has changed and uh, we are locked in really a, a global clean energy arms race and... Uh, if Australia doesn't take some action, then, you know, we really fear we're going to be locked out of that race for, for many years and decades to come. And so we, we don't need to match what the US has done. I mean, there are extraordinary amounts of money that they've put on the put on the table. We don't need to match that. Uh, but, you know, if, if we don't do something, um, uh, you know, there's a range of options that we're talking to government about. Um that the government can take. They're relatively modest in the context of, you know, other subsidies that we've put in place for the fossil fuel sector. They're certainly modest in the context of uh, the recent discussion about the cost of uh, a handful of submarines. Um, uh, but, but they're the sort of things that we think are going to be absolutely essential to, to keep Australia in this, in this global race. Now, Alan Finkel, I think you see these concerns expressed by Kane and Guy DeBell rather differently. You see opportunities for Australian businesses. Well, I do. I, I mean, I, I absolutely deeply understand the reasons for the concerns and they're very legitimate, but you've got to 
accept that, hey, the United States is going to make hydrogen so cheap because of its subsidies, it, be, it will be much more difficult for us to compete head-to-head by exporting hydrogen. But we That's have, only a small proportion of the funds, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. But also we have an opportunity to use, say, the hydrogen manufacturing capability locally and produce products that are enhanced or value-added products. So, for example, with hydrogen, we could start producing onshore green iron. So instead of exporting iron ore, which currently is exported alongside metallurgical coal, in future to make green steel you need green iron and green iron will be made with hydrogen but it's much more cost effective to use the hydrogen in the country where you make it we've got the iron ore we've got the hydrogen we can be exporting value-added green iron but, but what do you mean that by that what, what, what do you mean you'd start the the production process uh, up in the pilbara would you correct so currently we just you know dig, dig the iron ore put it in a ship, we dig the metallurgical coal, put it in the ship. The future way of making, and that goes into a blast furnace, the future way of making iron is to start with uh, iron ore and use hydrogen to chemically convert the iron ore, which is iron oxide, back into the element iron. And then and you need renewable electricity as well. So you replace the coal with hydrogen and renewable electricity. Well, that's difficult, uh, say, in Japan or Korea because for us to ship the hydrogen to them, the shipping cost is very high, and then they need their own renewable electricity. We've got it all here. So that becomes a new in- a new industry, a sort of a new um, a partial um, secondary industry, if I'm hearing you correctly. It's a, it's, it's a new value-added industry. You've always heard the call for adding value to our exports, but it's fallen on deaf ears because there was no financial driver. But now there's a huge financial driver because it's much more cost-effective to produce future iron, I call it green iron, in Australia than in a recipient country. And there's other things, green alumina and green aluminium, green fertiliser. One day we'll be shipping green jet fuel. There's a lot that we can do to take advantage of our mix of resources. Now, I agree with Kane. Government has to help. We need faster regulatory approvals because slow regulatory approvals just add costs to the process. And the Europeans have now recognised that and their new um, rules released, the Net Zero Industry Act, just on Thursday, they are committed to faster regulatory approvals. We need streamlined access to the various funding resources. There are funding resources in Australia, but you have to go to them individually. And what the Americans are doing is just make it easy. And the Europeans are committed to providing a kind of a concierge service to streamline access to funding sources. So there are a lot of things we can do, but I do agree with Kane. You know, to get going fast in this, what he called the global arms race, um, a little bit of direct funding would facilitate that process. Gee, and we're having, you know, we're completely Poised on the horns of, of a dilemma about um, how how long our our uh, aging power stations are going to be required and whether we can open new gas, uh, etc. I mean, <laughs> you know, you're both talking at such a high level; it's exciting, but you wonder quite whether we've got the capacity to have the debate. Um, look, thank you both very much indeed for joining us and just at least bringing us up to speed with how people are thinking. Kane Thornton and Alan Finkel, thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Uh, Kane Thornton from the Clean Energy Council, the peak body for the clean energy industry in Australia. Alan Finkel, the former Australian chief scientist. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.